And this sermon today is a part two sermon. Uh, if you weren't here last week and you have access to the internet, you should go to cityfellowship.net, listen to part one. Um, I've had a lot of good feedback on last week's sermon, but there has been just some, just some, that have called into question a point that I made. And that point was the assertion that I made that caterpillars turn to juice in the cocoon. Some of y'all have thought, is that really what's going on in there? So it's important to me that you feel you can trust the veracity of what I say from this pulpit. Plus, I want to be sure to always prove when I'm right. Therefore, I thought we'd begin this week with a short instructional video. I think it's, I don't know for sure. Let me check and see. I think it's titled, uh, let me put on my glass to make sure I get this right. Stuff you should remember from your junior high science class. Um, it does have a subtitle that says, oh, it's not my fault if you weren't paying attention in junior high science class. I'm just reading to you what's on the, what's, what's on the YouTube. All right, so um, we're going to start with this little, little video here. You're probably familiar with the basic life cycle of moths and butterflies. An egg hatches into a caterpillar, which becomes a pupa, which then transforms into a fully grown moth or butterfly. But that transformation isn't easy. If you sliced open a pupa at just the right point, you'd find nothing but bug soup. Caterpillars grow the beginnings of their adult body parts before they even hatch. They have these tiny clumps of cells called imaginal discs spread around their bodies. And during metamorphosis, each disc develops into a different part of the adult butterfly or moth. When a caterpillar becomes a pupa, it releases enzymes that dissolve almost all of its tissues. Only the imaginal discs, plus some certain muscles and portions of the nervous system survive. The rest of its body basically melts into goo. This protein-rich slurry helps fuel an explosion of new cell division as the imaginal discs grow into full-fledged wings, eyes, and legs for the adult insect. But even though they almost totally dissolve and rebuild themselves from scratch, Adult moths can actually remember things from when they were caterpillars. In one study, researchers gave mild electric shocks to tobacco hornworm caterpillars, a type of moth, while exposing them to specific smells. After metamorphosis, the adult moths still avoided the smells they'd learned to associate with unpleasant shocks. So at least some of the caterpillar's brain seems to stick around through metamorphosis, even as most of its body dissolves. Even It's true, I did use the word juice instead of soup. But I think my point is proven. <laughs> and, I, and I'm joking. But seriously, I wanted to re-emphasize this illustration for part two. And we added to it, and we're going to come back to this idea of the imaginal discs that remain, that in the process of totally changing... That, that caterpillar still remains who they are, right? That's important. Mark that. Uh, but I did want to just reemphasize this illustration because I think it's at the heart of what Paul is trying to teach in the last chapter of his letter to the church at Thessalonica. If you remember last week, I said that the beating heart of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is found at the end at verses 22, I'm sorry, 23 and 24. If you aren't in 1 Thessalonians yet, it's right at the end. You want to find it's a small book before you get to Revelation there. 
Um, you are going to want to look in chapter 5. Look at verse 23 through 24 before we get to the text that we're going to be looking at today. It says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you and sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, your soul, your body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. For the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. That's the beating heart of chapter 5. Paul is praying that we would be sanctified through and through. Body, soul, spirit. 360, right? We spent a good amount of time last week talking about what sanctification is. It's a religious word for a process by which the Holy Spirit conforms us into the image of Christ. He transforms us glory by glory into the image of Christ. Jesus, like a sculptor, the Spirit like a sculptor, carving away anything in us that is not Jesus-like. And this week we want to emphasize how drastic God intends for that transformation to be. Sanctification, let me just say this from the get-go, is not an add-on in your life, right? It's not an in-app purchase in your life. Uh, it is, it is, it is uh, not a change of clothes. It's not a new haircut. It is a, it, it, you know, a lot of times this is how it happens. We're just kind of a shellac that we want to place over the, over, the, over the top of our lives. That doesn't get down and inside. But Paul describes this differently. He describes sanctification as a process that is through and through, a transformation of heart, soul, mind, and strength. Nature has a name for this kind of total transformation, and it is metamorphosis. And ironically, this is the process that the caterpillar goes through in becoming a butterfly. Metamorphosis is a particularly radical kind of transformation that is described this way, a profound change in form from one stage to the next in the life history of an organism, a complete change of form, structure, or even substance. So this last section of 1 Thessalonians details some of the depth that sanctification is to go for, to in us, how deep it's supposed to go. And that's what we're going to be reading about today. So let's, uh, if you are willing and able, would you stand with me as we begin reading in 1 Thessalonians chapter 12. If you're not able, you just sit where you are. If you're not willing, I don't know what to tell you. Verse 12, now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always tries to do what is good for each other and good for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. And may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. 
Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And all the people said, Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. They say that the, really, the best way to learn something is to put yourself in a situation where you have to teach that thing you want to learn. The levels of learning are, you know, just hearing and then doing and you know, all that kind of thing. But the, the highest level of learning, the, the place where you learn the most is when you have to teach something. That's when you're going to learn the most about that thing. Um, teaching, it seems, is the most effective way of learning. Uh, and I can certainly testify to that. There are many times when I sit down with a familiar passage, one that even I feel like I know pretty well, and if I have to prepare to teach or preach on that, on that passage, my eyes are going to be opened, I can almost guarantee it, to deeper and deeper meanings and perhaps even different meanings than I had seen before. And that was certainly my, my experience with this particular text. At first reading, this looks like a laundry list, doesn't it? It looks like one of, a series of one-liners that Paul wants to get in before he, he has to close the letter. You know, live in peace with one another. Rejoice always. Uh, uh, don't quench the spirit, you know. It's like that first time that, you know, your parents are going to let you stay at home overnight while they go on a trip by themselves. And they're at the door, and they have their stuff, and they're headed out of the car, and they're just like, uh, don't forget to feed the dog. And lock the doors every night. And we better not find out that you had a party in here while we were gone. You know, those kind of things. And you're like, yes, mom, it'll be fine. Just go. Uh, but that's not what's happening here. If we look closely, we find that this passage is not a series of disconnected thoughts, not a laundry list. It's a pattern. There's a pattern to what Paul is saying. All these thoughts are organized into three sections. Uh, and, and how are they organized? Well, we remember what Paul wants to say at the end of the letter. If we believe what Paul is saying at the end of the letter, letter is contained in verse 23 and 24. 23 starts out this way. May God himself sanctify you. And sanctify you how? Sanctify you through and through. Not just a little bit here and there, but through and through. Paul is praying that you and I will be sanctified through and through. Uh, body, soul, and spirit. Y'all remember that? This is what through and through means. And that there would be no part of you left untouched by the metamorphosis of sanctification. That your mind, your heart, and your spirit, and your body would all be conformed to the image of Christ. As it turns out, these are the categories that organize all the information in these final verses in chapter 5. So be up on the screen here. Uh, if you're taking notes, this is the kind of the headings. Be sanctified through and through. That's what we're talking about today. Paul's going to help us be sanctified through and through. Body, soul, and spirit. Now the three parts, just write the first one down to start. I want you to see these three, but there's some points that Paul makes under each of these. So if you're taking notes, and I would encourage you to take notes today. Be sanctified through and through, body, soul, and spirit. First of all, be sanctified in the body. That's verses 12 through 15. Be sanctified in your soul. That's verses 16 through 18. And be sanctified in the spirit, verses 19 through 22. So if you're taking notes, don't write all three yet. We're going to break into each one of those. We're going to unpack each one of those. But Paul is going to make some very specific examples that I'm going to just read out for you and comment just a little bit on as we go through. Isn't it nice 
when the passage preaches itself, when the apostle makes his own subpoints, oh yes, that's a, that's a good day. When you open up that, that passage, it's going to go well. So, so just to start, write down this first point. Leave yourself some room because Paul has a lot to say on point number one. Be sanctified through and through. First of all, be sanctified in the body, in the body. This is verses 12 through 15. Now we're going to go through each one of these subpoints individually. Uh, they are up there on the screen already. Acknowledge those who work hard among you, live in peace with each other, warn the idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. And I actually just marked one I forgot to send in for the notes. Verse 15, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good to each other and for everyone else. So you can add that one too when the time comes. Um, we will go through these individually, but let me point out to you that I've used the word dis, uh, the body, be sanctified in the body, not your body. And this is significant because, <laughs> because Paul has spent a lot of time already telling you in this, in this book that he wants you to be sanctified in your body. That means that part of your sanctification is that your body is being conformed to doing what Christ would do, that you're going to start doing with your body what Christ would have you do with your body. If you want to see an example of this, look back real quickly to chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians. Look at verses 3 and 4. It is God's will that you should be what? Sanctified. And this is what he means, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. All right? That's sanctification of your body. This is God's will, that you be sanctified in this way, that you be sanctified in your body. Paul says the same things another, another way in Romans 6, chapter 12. Therefore, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Brothers and sisters, we want to be clear that God cares very deeply that you yourself in your body are made to be like Christ, that you are going to be sanctified in your body, that you would learn to control your body in a way that is honorable before the Lord. Because your body is a part of who you are. And God wants you to be sanctified through and through. But I'm reminded here, of a lyrics of a song I heard once that went like this. It said, Jesus didn't come for only you, but for a people to pursue. Jesus didn't come for only you, but for a people to pursue. Don't get me wrong. Jesus did come for you, but he didn't come only for you. He came to pursue his people, his children, his church, and his church is called the body of Christ. And so Paul is not just calling you to be sanctified in your body. He is calling for you and I, for us, to be sanctified in the body. In the body. He is not only calling for you to cooperate with the Spirit 
in the process of your own sanctification, he is calling for all of us to cooperate with the Spirit in the collective sanctification that he is working in this church and in the church with a capital C. But first, right here locally, see, just like God is calling you to individually step into that cocoon and be transformed, he is simultaneously calling City Fellowship to step into our own cocoon that we might be transformed as well. Through and through, each one, even as each one of us is being sanctified personally through and through. We are also being sanctified collectively. I know that there are many here today that would agree with me that at many times it is felt at this church uh, like we have been turned into caterpillar soup. Uh, oh, but if we would just cooperate with that process. Oh, if we just wouldn't fight that process. Oh, if we would just give up our resistance, then we know that there's a day coming. There's a day coming when that cocoon opens up and the wings unfold, and we begin to fly. So what does it look like for us to cooperate with the Spirit in this process? How can we participate in our own sanctification as a collective, as a church? The apostle gives us no less than seven ways here in verses 12 through 15. Seven ways that we can cooperate with his Spirit. Seven ways that we can pursue our sanctification in this local body of Christ. So write down this list as we go th through. First of all, and some of these I'll just comment a little bit on, some of them more than others. First of all, in verse 12, acknowledge those who, who, who work hard among you. That's one way that we can cooperate with the Spirit in sanctification. We acknowledge those who work hard among us. That's the first thing that God would have us do as we become more like Christ together, that we see each other, that we look around and we actually see each other, and we see each other for what is going on in our lives and the work that we're doing and the battles that we're facing, that we see each other, that we acknowledge one another. And please note that the apostle would not just have you acknowledge those who are working hard in front of you, but those who are working hard among you. It is right and good to acknowledge those who serve in visible places of service in the church. But if we really want to be sanctified as a church, Lord Jesus, something's going on. So we'll just be in prayer. Um, we really want to be sanctified as a church. Then we want to go further than just recognizing those who are serving in front of us but that we also would go out of our way to not take advantage of those who serve faithfully off stage, because those are often the folks who are the very backbone of who we are. I guarantee you the backbone of any church is more than likely not up in front very much. I'm thinking here of people like Heather Lutz. If there's a backbone of this church, she's turning red right now in her ears, I would guess, because this is not her thing. But if there's a backbone to City Fellowship, Heather Lutz is at the center of that. Danielle Glajo. Y'all, Kevin Seaton is not here today. So I can just say I have to restrain him in trying to serve y'all. And I mean that seriously. He's sending me things on my phone. Can you copy this? Can you give everybody that? Right? I have to restrain him in trying to serve you. Ike Flaster and Ethan Bennett. Every Sunday, making coffee, hauling out the signs, doing all that stuff. Kai and Becca Bailey. Kai, uh, you know, 
builds stuff out of PVC pipe and has it explode on Easter Sunday. You know, he, he uses his engineering degree for our benefit. Becca, the same way. Uh, I can't go very long these days without hearing Parker Smith's name. This little sister uh, who grew up in this church, and I, so I, I keep calling her a little sister. She's not little anymore. Uh, she's probably upstairs serving right now, if I had to guess. I don't know. Is she down here? Oh, she's over here with the college students, see? <laughs> she's grown. Um, Elizabeth Malone. Bacon stuff for baby you. Courtney Searcy. You can't, it's like Kevin Bacon. There's like three degrees of separation from Courtney Searcy. Brandon and Kristen Harper came in last minute today. Brandon got up here to do the assurance and then went back there to run sound. Trista Havner, who I have it on good authority, will not, every time there's some, a need upstairs, she's going to say yes. John, Mark, and Kelly Moss. Oh, yes. Say no more. Brothers and sisters, we can choose to grow and change and become all the Lord would have us to become. And here's how we get started down that road. We learn to see each other. We learn to bless each other. We learn to say thank you. We, we honor one another. We build one another up, especially those, the apostle says, that are working hard among you. Hold those folks in the highest regard, says the apostle. Hold them in high regard in love because of their work. So let's just, let's just bless them. Let's say thank you. And I know I haven't listed all the names. There's a lot of other names to list. You know who they are. Send them a text. Send them a little note. Actually, write them a note. Send it in the mail. Wouldn't that be a blessing? Uh, but there are five more ways that we can co cooperate, six more ways we can cooperate with the Spirit as a church. Secondly, we can live in peace with one another. Remember, peace is not, in the biblical sense, peace is not just the absence of conflict. It is the presence of a person, right? So Paul is not just asking that we all just get along, but that we agree in the Spirit. This is what is meant by living in peace, that we be of one mind in Christ Jesus. We will have disagreements. We have not had our last disagreement, y'all. I'm sorry to say it. I'm sorry to say it. We will have conflicts, but disagreement need not lead to disunity if, 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 if. We can always look across the table and see not our enemy, but our brother and our sister, and remember that the same spirit that's living in them is the same spirit that's living in me. That is what Paul means when he says live in peace. But he doesn't stop there. He also says warn the idle and disruptive. So, so co uh, uh, cooperating with the spirit does not only mean we're going to just love each other enough to encourage one another. It also means we're going to love each other enough to confront one another, to warn somebody who is idle, to warn somebody who is disruptive. If one is idle, that means to receive and take from the community but never give. To be disruptive means those who cause unnecessary controversy or unnecessary drama. To warn those is right. It's a way that we can move along our sanctification. It's an act of love. As surely as it's an act of love to do this next one, encourage the disheartened. There are times when all of us lose heart. We lose courage. I have found in my own life that from and from counseling others that it's often not a lack of belief in Christ that plagues us in our dark, darkest hours. It's the lack of courage to live and believe according to, or to actually walk out what we believe in Christ. 
It's in these times we need to be encouraged. This is what encouragement is. It's putting courage in somebody, right? Someone who's lacking it, speaking Jesus when Jesus is needed. In addition to this, Paul teaches us that we need to help the weak. Now, I want to pause here for just a moment because I think it's important to note who the weak are in Paul's view. When the Apostle Paul speaks of the, of the weak, he's usually not referring to those who are weak in body. I think Paul would consider it a no-brainer that those who are able-bodied should help those in the church that are weak of body. Amen? Now, uh, usually, though, what Paul means is he's referring when he says weakness to those who are weak in their faith. All right? So consider the words of Paul in Romans chapter 14 where he says, Accept the one whose faith is weak. Y'all hearing me? Without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. It was a matter of great dispute in the early Christian church if Christians were allowed to eat the meat that had been sacrificed to idols in the, in, in, in the greater culture. This meant that uh, this meat, rather, would have been sold in the public market and quite often was the only meat available. Some Christians said no. That meat was defiled because it was presented to a false god, and if that was the only meat available, then believers should only eat vegetables. Paul himself taught that since idols were nothing representing a god that does not exist, that, they, that food sacrificed to them was not defiled, and that Christians should feel free to eat of it. But he understood that culture is very strong and that especially among believers coming from a Jewish background, that means that eating that meat would seem very wrong. It would be disruptive to their faith. And Paul would have liked to see those brothers free, those sisters free of that distinction, free to eat anything they wanted to buy in the market. And, he, and if they asked him about his freedom in Christ, he would have gladly explained it to them. That's what he means by helping the weak. But he never would have flaunted his freedom in front of them. He never would have belittled them because of their beliefs. He never would have made them feel foolish. If he had access to the internet, he never would have posted anything that might embarrass those brothers and sisters. Paul is not referring here to those with errant or harmful beliefs. He's talking about people who in their zeal to honor the Lord go farther than even they need to go. And they deny themselves things that they could enjoy in good conscience. Paul says, help these but do not judge these. Paul goes on to say in Romans 14, you then, why do you judge a brother or sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. For it is written that every knee will bow and every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account to God for ourselves. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment. We can help, but don't judge the weak. We are currently living in a climate when it's almost considered a virtue to judge in a world where every social media post is recorded forever, you can even judge someone for something they used to believe, that they don't even believe anymore. Uh, I think Paul would say to the, that the veggie eaters are on a journey, and it's more important to love them well where they are on that journey than it is to win an argument with them. So Paul is confident in the spirit of Christ to do, he's confident in the spirit of Christ to do the work of sanctification in them. So therefore, he can go on to this admonition, be patient with everyone. Be patient with everyone. Ultimately, sanctification is God's work. 
It's where, and when where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And those veggie eaters are on a journey to, towards freedom. Got to like these days when the, when the Bible does the preaching for you. So here's the last point. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and everyone else. So that's an inside and an outside admonition, right? That means if we're done wrong, that we return wrong with good. That we're not, uh, we're not trapped uh, in, the, in the flesh desire for revenge, right? We're not a slave to revenge. Now, I know, I'm just like everybody else. There are, there's a whole genre of movies called revenge movies, right? And it just, the, the, the reason there's a whole genre for them is because it excites the flesh. It makes the flesh feel like the right has been done. But the thing to remember here is God says, I am the judge, and I will make all things right. And this is for God. Vengeance is God's, and ours is to re- return good for evil. That's a difficult thing, but it's something we must do if we want to move forward in our sanctification, that we first of all do that to each other, that we don't take revenge. Y'all, church revenge is some of the worst revenge there is, right? Because it's like sweet on the outside. Like a, it's like a reverse Sour Patch Kid. <laughs> Sour Patch Kid is sweet on the outside, but sour on the inside. Church, uh, uh, no, it is kind of like that, isn't it? It's just like a Sour Patch Kid. It's just like a Sour Patch Kid. It's sweet on the outside and it's sour on the inside. Got ahead of my... No, what, did I, what's a, what is a Sour Patch Kid? Is it sour on the outside? Is it sour first? Okay, so I was right. I was right the first time. Sour Patch Kid is sour first, sweet after that, right? Yeah, because the commercial is the little weirdo Sour Patch Kid is like cutting people's hair off, but then he's like, sorry, oh, you know. Um, so church revenge is the opposite of that. Sweet on the outside and sour, uh, sour on the inside, right? So I'm glad we got that all straightened out. <laughs> we needed a video on that one too. Okay, we got it. I don't need a lot of Sour Patch Kids, but I do, I'm freaked out by the commercials, so they stick with me. Okay. All right. Now, since God would have us be sanctified through and through, this means that he would have us be sanctified in our body, in the body, but also he moves on to the soul. Second point, we want to be sanctified in the soul, verse 16 through 18. And in verses 16 through 18, Paul brings up three things that that will cooperate with sanctification of the soul. Rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. Now we want to say, first of all, we want to note that the subpoints are in order that, that I just put those up there in the order that Paul gives them, right? But I think it might help us to kind of rearrange these just a little bit as we go through them. So write these down this way. Pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, and rejoice always. Pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, and rejoice always. Now, first of all, we want to say that when the Bible refers to the soul, if it's often referring to what we would in, in modern, the modern world refer to as the heart, okay? Uh, the mind, the emotions, the personality, the will, okay? So if we are to be sanctified through and through, it means we will not only be trans. 
how we act with our bodies, but also how we think and how we interpret and uh, 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 process our emotions. That's, that, that's going to change too. That's a part of that caterpillar soup, right? It breaks down old thinking patterns. It breaks down the ways in which we used to react emotionally, right? It breaks down in which the ways in which we would process our emotions, right? Now, I want, to, I want you to reflect on your thought life just in the last week or the last month for a moment. And then reflect on your emotional life over the last week, over the last month. Would you say that over the last month or so, your thought life and your emotional life could be summarized with the words that Paul uses here, rejoicing always? Is that a good summary of your thought life over the last month? Rejoicing always? Is that a good uh, summary of your emotional life over the last month? Rejoicing always? Who's going to join me in saying you struggle to maintain joy? Okay. This is a big problem. Because the Bible declares that it is the joy of the Lord that is our strength. I believe this is a major issue for Christians because mental toughness is not to be considered the source of strength for the Christian. Physical health is not to be considered the source of strength for the Christian. Emotional stability is not to be considered the source of strength for the Christian. Sound financial planning is not meant to be seen as a source of strength for the Christian. Now, I pray that you have all these things, and I pray that you have them in abundance. But I also pray that you will rely on none of them for the source of your strength, because any of them can be taken away in a moment. Your health can be taken away in a moment. Your 401k can disappear in a moment. But the steadfast love of the Lord endureth forever. The steadfast love of the Lord endureth forever. And because of this, even in the midst of great suffering, even in the midst of great sorrow, even in the midst of great trial, even in the midst of great tribulation, the psalmist can say, come and let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us sing and shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. The fight for joy is the fight, possibly, for many, many, a bulk of American Christians. Because we have in America an unnatural expectation that life ought to be easy. That life ought to be pain-free. And that God owes us an explanation if it's not. Several, I just don't, I feel like I need to say this, several, I don't know, probably over a year, maybe, or more now, the Lord just put a deep um, love and attraction in my heart for uh, worship songs written on the African continent. Um, we have, do we have some sneaks going out there about the record? There's been some... There's been some sneaks going out there. Have you heard about this? 
the new album, the new City Songs album. Little, little teasers. Sneaks is not the right word. I'm being corrected even as I stand here. Okay. Sneaks going out? That's ridiculous. That, that's sneaks. Okay. All right. So we have a new record coming out. No less than three of those songs uh, that are on there by a guy named Joseph Edogabi from Nigeria. One of the songs we sang today, Waymaker, by a Nigerian worshiper named Sinach. My attraction is the joy that is found in those songs in the midst of very difficult circumstances, a lot of times, that are faced on that continent. The fight for joy is the fight for American Christians. I believe that our sanctification will be painfully slow until you and I can figure out what it means to have the joy of the Lord as our strength even in tough situations. God wants joy for you. I hope he wants happy for you, but he wants joy for you, I know for sure. So what can we do to receive it? How can we stop being inconsolable in our grief? Have you ever been around someone who's inconsolable? Someone who just will not receive encouragement? Have you ever been guilty of being inconsolable? How do we break the, break the back of that? How can we join God in the fight for our joy? Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. Amen? Amen. First of all, we pray continually, not meaning that we're always running a prayer in our mind, but rather that we are learning what it means to be able to remain in a prayerful state at all times, meaning we are learning what it means to stand in the presence of the Lord, as the old ancients would have said, to stand before the Lord in all things and at all times, throughout our day, even as we lay down our heads at night. Secondly, that we would give thanks in all circumstances. This is not to say that we have to drum up some kind of false thanksgiving for painful circumstances we are currently in. It means that we become a people that no matter what circumstances we are currently in, painful or not, we are always able to lift high the name of Jesus. Not because of what's happening to us, but because of who he is. This is why becoming a worshiper of God is so crucial, Christian. A worshiper. The psalmist is always painfully honest about suffering, right? You can't read the psalms without seeing the suffering. But those psalms, almost 100% of them that deal with pain, there is a moment where that turns the corner. And the psalmist says, though I don't, uh, though, though I don't see you, know, you, God, I don't know where you are, God, yet even so I will remember the great deeds of the Lord, and I will praise him even today, even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of pain, he is a good father, even in the midst of joy, he is a good father, even when life is boring, He's a good father. Even when life is exciting, he's a good father. If you are characterized by worship and thanksgiving, you are all, if you are always seeking to practice the presence of God, you're going to wake up one day and realize that the joy of the Lord is your strength. And then the devil better watch out for you. Okay, and this is related to our last point, which is good. Because I don't, like, I don't have enough time to get into this the way I'd like to. But if we want to be sancti sanctified, 
as individuals, if we want to be sanctified as a church, we must, must, must learn what it means to be sanctified in the Spirit. And that's what verses 19 to 22 are about, being sanctified in the Spirit. Paul gives us an overview in our spirit, letting the Spirit sanctify our spirit. Paul gives us an overview of what we must do to be sanctified in our spirit. Let me list that out first and just touch on these. First of all, he says, do not quench the spirit of the living God. Amen? Amen. Secondly, do not treat prophecies with contempt. Third, do test all those prophecies. Fourth, hold to what is good and reject what is evil. All right? Now, for some of you, this is not a problem. You come from a faith background or the Lord's just got a hold of you in some way that you, are, you have never been or are no longer suspicious of the moving of the Spirit among people. Okay? But if I'm honest about the tradition that I came from, I would say it was suspicious of the movement of the Spirit. Maybe afraid, but definitely suspicious. Suspicious. Certainly, I would say that my upbringing treated prophecies with contempt. Okay. So now, let me just say, what's a quick overview of this word prophecy? What does Paul mean when he says the prophecies? Don't show contempt to prophecies among you. All right. the, the best way I can explain it shortly, it seems to me, is this. There are times when the spirit that is in us pulls back the curtain a bit and reveals something specific about the heart of God for somebody. That's a prophetic moment. That's a prophetic word. Sometimes he gives somebody eyes to see what he sees in somebody. Sometimes he gives somebody, pulls back the curtain, gives them eyes to see for a second what God sees for this church. That's the prophetic. That's a prophecy that he's giving. All right? Specific to our discussion today, if I were to be given a prophetic word for somebody, if I were to be given a prophetic word for Ethan Bennett, then what that means is, is that God has pulled back that curtain just a little bit. And he's shown me a little bit of who Ethan Bennett can become in Christ. Something of, if when he cooperates with his sanctification, that he can become in Christ. Just a glimpse. And if I'm faithful to deliver that to him, that's what Paul's saying. Don't, don't show contempt for those prophecies. Receive those with joy, Right? Receive those with joy. Now, if I were to be given a prophetic word for this church, it would be a glimpse of what this church can become if we will cooperate with the work of God in us. Do not show contempt for that kind of prophetic word. It's a glimpse of what we can become in Christ. Now, why would we have contempt for that? Honestly, because the history of this, and we're all probably acquainted with folks that declare themselves to be prophets, and then manipulate people, right? For their own gain. Honestly, that's why people can be manipulative. 
They can say, thus saith the Lord, and bend the direction of your life or bend the direction of a church in a direction that they want to go, not the way that God wants to go. They're selling their own vision, not the vision of the Most High God. Therefore, Paul says, be careful. Weigh those prophecies. Test those prophecies. If they are found to be self-serving, if they are found to be manipulative, if they are found to be hurtful, if they're found to be deceitful, deceitful, throw them out. Reject all that is evil. But for God's sake, and I mean that phrase literally, don't have contempt for all prophecies because of some bad prophets. Don't quench the spirit of God when he's moving because something bad might happen or because something bad has happened in the past. There is much more to say about prophecy in particular and how it can be uh, expressed healthily, and we will do that work here. But for now, if you think that God has revealed his heart for somebody around you, and you get this thing that you can't quite explain, but you can see the glory of what somebody can become in Christ, I want to encourage you, just, just, just tell them. And tell them, hey, I don't, I'm new to this. I don't know if this is something. You can take it or leave it, but I feel like God would tell you. Don't say God told me to tell you. See, I feel like God might say to you, you're strong. You're not going to be defeated by this trial. Does that mean anything to you? I hope if it does, great. If God reveals his heart for this church to you, come talk to an elder. Come talk to a staff person. Don't say God told me to tell you. Be humble and say, I think God would say to us, we're going to make it. A verse of scripture that he brings to mind. We'll test that. We'll see if it needs to be heard. And then we'll do our best to determine what the venue of that should be. But don't be afraid. Don't quench the spirit. God wants to move here. Okay, y'all, y'all, if you hadn't listened now, we're almost done. I promise you. God wants to move here among us. Okay? Band, come on up and help me out. Singers, come on up and help me out. God wants to move here. Okay? He wants his spirit to move here. He wants to work in words of prophecy. He wants to work in that. Uh, he wants to reveal his heart to us. He wants to move here. He wants to sanctify us. He wants to put us in that cocoon. And as hard as it is for us, to be broken down. He's doing that so that it can be built up. Now, here's what I want you to remember from that video. That caterpillar doesn't go away. Okay. When you give yourself, when you give yourself over to God to be sanctified in your own personal life, he's not trying to turn you into some kind of robot, some kind of clone. He's not trying to turn you into something other than who you are. He's trying to make you into who you are, mm. right? So that caterpillar is broken down, but what remains, I think what they were called the something discs. What were they? The imaginative, what imaginative? Yeah, something like that. Imaginary or imaginative? Imaginal? Oh, that's weird. Okay. But I like the word imaginations in there. That's what struck me. That there's something left that remains. 
It's that imagination of who they are. You know what I'm saying? That's remains. That, well, that's what God does to us. He's not turning us into clones. He's not turning us into little, you know, uh, clones of each other. It is Christ in you that is the hope of glory. It is Christ in you. It's Christ in you shining out into the world that only you can be that filter for. That's the hope of glory for those that are around you. Christ wants you to be more of who you are. As he conforms you into his image, that's what's happening there. You're going to be totally transformed. The way you use your body will be different. The way you think will be different. The way your emotional life is will be different. But you're becoming who you are. In that same way, City Fellowship, if we will give ourselves over to the process, what's happening is we are becoming like Christ collectively. We're becoming who we were meant to be. That doesn't go away. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So are you willing? Are we willing? Are we going to cooperate with the Spirit? Romans 8.29 has a very interesting language for the transformation of sanctification. Remember, it says that for those that God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. The prefix con in the English language literally means with, being jointly formed. Will you cooperate? Now, the one who called you is faithful. He will do it. He gets all the glory. We get none. But he has set it up in such a way that we participate, we cooperate, or we struggle against the process of sanctification. So will we give way? Will we do it? Will we bless one another so that we can be conformed in the image of Christ? Let's go ahead and have our uh, ushers come forward. We can set our notes off to the side. We're going to take of communion together as we do every week. And as we take of communion, we are always reminded, and this is the body of Christ that's broken for you. If you're a believer in Jesus, you're going to come forward in just a few minutes and you're going to take of this bread. You'll be reminded this is the body of Christ. You'll dip it in the juice. You'll be reminded this is the blood of Christ that's been spilled for you. And as you take of that, I want you to re- remember what that is. It's a way that Jesus has, has, has said we must do together. When we get together, we do this together to remember him, to remember who he is and what he does. And what he does is he gets inside of us and he changes us. That's what we're asking for. That's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking for you to stop struggling against the current of God's will for you, to stop struggling against the current of God's loving desire to transform you, to stop struggling against the current of God's desire to give you joy in all circumstances. That's what he wants for you. Let's stand and let's take of, uh, let's, let's pray together and let's take of this meal together. If you are here today, 
with your eyes closed, you know, with the little person in the house, I've just been reminded of why we close our eyes and why we fold our hands when we pray. We're taught that as kids. And that's so that we're not distracted. So that we're not looking around at other things. That our hands aren't wandering to other things. Lord, we give ourselves, we give our attention to you now. Lord, we turn our attentions to you now. You are worthy of our praise. Above all things, we want to become who we are, and that means we're going to become a worshiper of you. In all circumstances, Lord, you are worthy. In all circumstances of our life, we can still worship, Lord, because we're not just saying thanks for this painful thing we're going through. We're saying thank you, Lord, for being who you are, a good father, a good father. You know what's best for us. A good child does not always understand why the father gives instructions that he gives. But he always obeys because he believes that the Father is right. And Father, you are right because you are righteous. We give way to you. We love you, Lord. We thank you. We receive you. With our eyes still bowed, our eyes closed rather than our heads still bowed, let me just ask you some of those questions I asked you earlier. Is your thought life, is your emotional life, are your fears and, and, and all those parts of you are they are they characterized by joy or are they characterized by suspicion fear anger irritation sloth envy what is the characterization of your thoughts and your emotions god would have you give your soul over to him today is there anybody in here that needs to give their soul over to him? If so, come down and do your business with the Lord. This is what the altar is for, that you can lay things down. Put yourself on that altar. Are there some of you in here today that are disobedient to the Lord with your body? The Lord brought to mind something that you're doing with your body that is disobedient to him. I want to ask uh, you that because there is forgiveness for you. If you will come forward and, and just come to Jesus, he says he is willing and able to forgive. If you need to do business with the Lord today, that you would be sanctified in your body, do that this morning. And if there's anybody else here that needs to be sanctified in their spirit, meaning they need to give way to the spirit, not quench the spirit, I want to ask that you would give that over to the Lord as well, that we would be sanctified through and through, sanctified through and through. Jesus Christ, Son of God, would you sanctify us, come and sanctify us through and through now, Lord. In Jesus' name.